0: Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen.
1: And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo.
0: Welcome back, Nicole. I hope things are good in Ohio.
1: Yeah, they are. Chris, how are you today?
0: Doing good, doing good. Talking about one of my favorite breeds. I could see why, you know, coming from the States and the American Quarter Horse, it just warms my heart right so today we're going to kind of talk about them and 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 some some things to really consider that are kind of a little bit more breed specific when it comes to feeding them right
1: yeah they are the most popular breed in the united states and the largest breed registry in the world so i suspect we have a lot of listeners that have quarter horses at home so kind of fun to do a little roundup and talk specifically about them today and don't worry, if you have a different breed, uh, we can certainly do some of those in the future. So let us know what we should cover next as well.
0: Yeah, and some of the stuff we're going to talk about today could apply to your horse. If you thoroughbred. that's another one of my loves. And Arabians, I, I, I actually love them very much too. So whole wide breadth of breeds uh, that we can talk about. But today, just to kick this off, I guess just kind of talking about the quarter horse history because – some of that does lead into some of the disorders we see today, but I guess just kind of a broad overview of, of where the breed originated and, and kind of what it, its purpose was.
1: Sure. So it is a, an American, a US-based breed uh, developed way back in the 1600s. And the, the term quarter horse relates to the fact that they were very originally selected so that they excelled at racing a quarter of a mile. So very, very short distance. So that's kind of Even before they were a breed registry, there was a group of horses being selected specifically for that particular job. Now, of course, today, the modern quarter horse does so many different jobs. So the American Quarter Horse Association, as we know it today, was founded back in the 40s. And quarter horses are different than some other breeds in the sense that it's not a closed stud book. So you certainly have what they call their foundation group, so straight quarter but there's an infusion of thoroughbred blood as well. And even in the modern quarter horse today, so in some other breeds, you maybe had infusions of other types of blood way, way back hundreds of years ago, and it's only a select breeding pool today. The quarter horse can vary. And in that, it creates a lot of variability in the types. So you certainly have you know, there's this really popular meme that went around the Internet a couple of years ago, and it was two quarter horses. And it was this little tiny reiner next to this big hunt horse. They're both quarter horses. Mm-hmm. So it, it's amazing the variability. Um, certainly there are specific types within quarter horse that are selected to do different disciplines therefore their phenotype their physical appearance a lot of times the amount of thoroughbred that's bred into them as well from the outside blood perspective varies based on that type wildly diverse breed
0: well, yeah i was just thinking like a halter horse versus like you said a rainer or even the the, the racing quarter horse if if you've seen them on the track i remember when it was in texas i i saw them and they look they look like thoroughbreds because they have so much of that thoroughbred in them with such a wide breadth, I guess, what are some of the things that, that we should really focus in on, specifically quarter horses? I mean, I know some of these disorders, diseases, we see them affect other horse breeds. So again, if you, if you have a different horse breed, you still want to listen to this. But what are some more of the generalities, I guess, when we talk about nutritional disorders? like The first one comes to my head, HYPP, boom, quarter horse disease. We know that came from Impressive so many years ago. But, you know, that has actually bled into some other horse breeds now that we know, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you have any other related stock horse breed, because then you get all this cross-pollination that happens Mm -hmm. between these different registries. So your other stock type breeds also can have some of these same genetic disorders. You know, paints, of course, there's a lot of cross-pollination between the paint and the Quarter Horse, Appaloosa, and then even there are many grade horses out there that are very strongly quarter horse bred. They just might not have papers. Or maybe you're assuming that's what they are based, again, on their phenotype, their physical appearance. So these are things that, yes, we definitely know are a quarter horse-specific issue. But, of course, that doesn't mean it's only within those horses that are called mm-hmm. quarter horses. It's all those related breeds as well. So I think to start, if you if you tuned into this episode... And what you were looking for was this definitive guide to how I feed a quarter horse. Unfortunately, I can't give you an answer to that. Because again, going back to that wide variability of the different phenotypes, the different types of quarter of horses there are, and even within, let's say, all just quarter horses that do Western pleasure there's still a lot of variability in what I feed. Even those horses are easy keepers and hard keepers within that group, different types of management. So your quarter horse in boarding barn a might need an entirely different feeding program than boarding barn B. So I think zooming out and realizing that just because I have a specific breed doesn't mean that there's one type of way to feed that horse, which is why we, we always lean on that personalized equine feeding plan. Mm. Now, that being said, I think as an owner of a quarter horse, being aware of the different genetic disorders that can be influenced by nutrition, I think is it's a very, very important thing. Uh, it allows you to hopefully troubleshoot some issues before they come up so that you have the background to make sure you're feeding a horse appropriately for some of these different genetic disorders. You, of course, hit the biggest one already, HYPP. Mm. And we did a whole podcast on HYPP, which we can link out to. But the very brief, like, big picture view of that, it's a muscle disorder. So actually, all of the disorders we'll talk about today are different muscle disorders. But it, it ultimately what happens is it disrupts the sodium ion channels within the muscles themselves. And they actually have these paralytic attacks. So it can be anywhere from relatively mild twitching to, unfortunately, cardiac failure. So knowing whether or not your horse has HYPP, really important. So as you mentioned, it has been identified as a point mutation in the horse impressive. So a a Mm -hmm. very, very prolific stallion. Very easy to test. So for two of the three disorders we'll talk about today, they're actually included on your five-panel test. Mm -hmm. So HYPP and PSSM type 1, which we'll touch in a second. With a basic hair test, you can find out whether or not your horse has this. I think it's super important if you have any grade type horse that you suspect has quarter horse or other stock breed lineage to go ahead and do that. Not super expensive. In the case of HYPP, what we're concerned about is the level of potassium in the diet. Most horses able to handle tons of potassium. We overfeed potassium just because it's in every base ingredient in a greater quantity than the horse needs. But none of those horses have an issue with that excess potassium. Only horses with this specific mutation. So we want to keep the diet under 1.5% total potassium, meaning the combination of your concentrates, your grain, and your hay. And then specific to concentrate, keep it under 33 grams of potassium intake per meal. Pretty easy for us to control in the case of, you know, actually giving a more specific feeding guide, our easy keepers, we can feed essential K. Our harder keepers, we can feed calm and easy in the majority of cases. The tricky part, of course, is knowing how much potassium is coming from your hay. So general recommendation is to just completely avoid alfalfa and other legumes like a high clover hay, because those are very high in potassium and stick to grass type hays for horses with HYPP. With the caveat, that even not all grass hay is low enough in potassium to be appropriate. And you'd have to test that. I've had situations of horses that have two copies of the gene. So mm-hmm. very, very susceptible that we actually put on a complete seed, calm and easy, and see that as their entire diet because there wasn't the opportunity to control their hay intake. And they were so sensitive that they really, really had to be very careful. So that is an option. So that would be the first of our genetic mm. disorders applicable to quarter horses yeah. and other related stock
0: breeds. Yeah, so so listening to you, yes, it it's every horse needs its individual diet and and ever since we started this podcast that's something I definitely a- has come across listening to you and talking to you each week that every horse is is an individual, right? So when you do start looking at these diseases like HYPP and I think it's like 4 to 5% of all quarter horses could be affected now the next one we we again we did do a podcast on this on pssm and and as dr rambo said before there's an article that is associated with each podcast and we'll be sure to link those articles so you can read up on them again this is another one that that affects quite a few horror horses right
1: yeah. So again, quarter horses related stock breeds. Uh, the most recent numbers, which frankly actually are a little bit old at this point, have so you PSSM type 1 and type 2, uh, polysaccharide storage myopathy type 1. This is actually a mutation in glycogen branching enzyme. And what happens here is the horses can't process sugars correctly. They try to store them in their muscle in a way that's not easily able to access. And then when they run out of blood glucose, they can't get to the energy in their muscle and they tie up. So PSSM type 1 estimate was about 11% of quarter horses had PSSM type 1. Um, I would say, you know, that reference was from back in 2009. So it, it might have shifted a little bit from there. What What is interesting is they were also able to do a breakdown of within quarter horses, based on their discipline, roughly what proportion of those total horses were positive, what different discipline, which is really a function of how they're bred, right? And within PSSM type one, a significantly higher proportion of horses who are effective are halter bred horses. So meaning those horses that are really bred to be heavy muscled and, you know, judged based on their confirmation specifically so their job is really focused on the appearance of that horse we definitely see a lot lower percentages in your more performance type disciplines um Mm. moderate in western pleasure so you know this research said that about 28 percent of halter horses were affected eight percent of western pleasure and then it gets really low when you're looking at like the barrel racing and the racing quarter horses part of that presumably you've diluted that with more thoroughbred Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. therefore right you just have other genes coming in so a lower proportion of those specific lines are affected by pssm type one but ultimately any quarter horse can be positive this is the second one of our list that is on your five panel test so again very easy to find out whether or not a horse has PSSM type 1. It is a simple hair test, well validated, peer reviewed, very expensive. And, you know, in this particular case, we, because they don't process energy appropriately, specifically non structural carbohydrates, these horses were looking to feed a lower NSC diet and then replace some of that energy with fat. So, because can't use carbohydrates, specifically muscle glycogen, to fuel work. We have to give them a different way to do that. And the nice thing is the horse is actually pretty well adapted to do this. So if we increase the fat in their diet and we exercise them, they naturally produce the enzymes that are needed in order to use fat for your energy source. So for these particular horses, it's a little trickier when it's a very easy keeper because you do have to add that to their diet. Way back when we thought all of them needed like two cups of additional oil, like tons of fat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not all of them need that level of fat, but generally we're looking at supplementing fat. So a very low NSC diet, you know, essential K or again, calm and easy. You'll notice I lean on those a lot. And then added fat to their diet is how we would feed horses with PSSM type one. The other caveat is these horses need consistent exercise. So, making the dietary adjustments in and of themselves often aren't enough to prevent these horses from having tying up episodes that they're very strongly impacted. Some of them, it's more generalized, just muscle soreness, poor performance. So, essentially, daily exercise is really helpful for controlling this along with the dietary modifications.
0: Well, and it, 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 it's interesting when we talk about how to treat this low NSC, and that is a big. Our topic it it seems like it keeps coming up with us and 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 that's where there's been this huge shift, and I always laugh every time I talk about feeding straight corn to the mares back a couple decades ago sits <laughs> it that would be you would die you would not do that today. there's no way uh where we are feeding these lower n s c diets and and so these horses I can definitely benefit from that now, the other disorder that we don't want to get people confused with, and that's PSSM type two. So talk a little bit about this and how that can affect some quarter horses.
1: Yeah. So PSSM type two is a pretty common diagnosis within the muscle disorders of quarter horses. So if your horse is having issues that your vet thinks a muscle biopsy is needed to identify, uh, PSSM type 2 is a very common one in quarter horses. I don't have an estimate for how many quarter horses have PSSM type 2, but what we do know of those horses who have PSSM type 2, they're much more common in your performance disciplines, barrel racing, reining, cutting, you know which is exactly the opposite of the higher incidence of PSSM type 1 in your halter bred horses. So again, just kind of really cementing that fact that all quarter horses aren't genetically identical. Yeah, the same. Which which we definitely see then in their mm-hmm. phenotype and the diets we need to feed them. So PSSM type one, it's a little confusing because the name isn't fantastic. And they're actually taking different things that they originally put in this bucket of PSSM type one, type two, which basically horses who had similar characteristics on a muscle biopsy as type 1, but were negative for that genetic disorder. Mm-hmm. They put in this bucket of type 2, and now they're slowly peeling out other diseases that have you know, specific mechanisms like myocibular myopathy came out of the PSSM type 2 bucket. So right now, the cause of PSSM type 2 in these quarter horses is not specifically known. Anecdotally, we do know that higher levels of protein in these horses' diets appears to support them and reduce incidence of their issues, which in quarter horses is usually tying up. PSSM type 2 and some other breeds is more poor performance, which again points to the fact that we probably have multiple genetic disorders lumped into one category right now and research is ongoing to split those out. So for these horses with PSSM type 2, The low, low NSC is not as important. Now, they may still benefit from a lower NSC diet just for all the reasons that lower NSC is good, right? Good for gut health, reduces hyperactivity, but we maybe don't have to be as stringent on a super low NSC diet. However, that added protein, generally in the form of really good quality amino acids, which I can accomplish by adding extra ration balancer like essential K on top of their base diet, So let's say overall we're happy with their body condition and all of those things. Instead of making a drastic change to a horse with PSSM type 2, I like to add one to two pounds of essential K on top of their base diet to really bump up that essential amino acid intake, which helps support them even though we don't exactly know why today. But something with protein turnover or maybe protein breakdown is likely related because they respond so well to those essential amino acids.
0: Well, oh, good good now with the it, it's it's interesting the 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 myofibular myopathy i know it affects other breeds so there you go for the folks that, that stuck with us uh, but like you said they're peeling away the layers of this onion of this type 2 so how are they diagnosing this
1: yeah that is a tricky one so you know our first two genetic disorders we talked about HYPP PSSM type 1 i was like this is super easy just do a hair test PSSM type 2, there is not a validated hair test available. There are commercial ones, but unfortunately, the science behind those just really hasn't been made publicly available. And there's Mm -hmm. maybe some literature that suggests that there's some inaccuracies with that type of test. So if we want to definitively know if a horse has PSSM type 2, a muscle biopsy would be required. And in that case, you know, the one downside to that approach is that it's really not going to be accurate if the horse isn't currently experiencing symptoms. So you're not going to want to like preemptively do a muscle biopsy on a horse that's doing well. But if a horse is experiencing issues that appear to be consistent with PSSM type two, a muscle biopsy is the definitive way that we would diagnose that. I will say there's certainly no harm in bumping a little extra ration balancer for a lot of horses. They benefit from that, you know, supporting top line, all of those things. So that's certainly something from a dietary intervention that's low risk to apply, even if we don't have a definitive diagnosis. But I will say in horses with issues, it's often a good idea to, when possible, follow that diagnostic plan as far as possible, because there's so many things that look the same, which mm. is an uncomfortable horse who has low performance and we could spend so much time and money tweaking the diet and then find out it was something completely different. So from that perspective, it is nice to know either way. I know a muscle biopsy sounds scary. I've had it done on a horse. In reality, it isn't that big a deal and the information from it can be incredibly valuable. So that is certainly on the table for the horse who is having issues. It is the one of the three that we can't preemptively adjust their diet to address.
0: Yeah, no. And I remember doing some research back in the day looking at muscle biopsies. Not very much muscle. It's it's, it's a tiny little punch uh, with them, you know, with a little local anesthetic. Horses are just fine. Now, final question for you is, okay, I have a quarter horse. All of this, my head's swimming. Where can I get help? Like, where would you say, okay, I, I don't know where to begin with my quarter horse. So what would be a good place to turn to? Oh,
1: well, us, obviously, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Thank you for that soft little... No, no. So yeah, if you have questions, you have a quarter horse, you're not sure you're feeding it the right thing or any breed of horse, you know, we're certainly willing and happy and would love to do a personalized equine feeding plan with you. And, you know, one of the questions would be, does your horse have any known health conditions? And in that discussion, you know, I've certainly recommended lots of people if they don't have a five panel on a stock type horse to go ahead and get one, just so that we have that information available, and it just really helps in making that proactive diet. So we can certainly help you with the diet based on the information today, and talk you through kind of that process to go ahead and get more information as well.
0: Well, there you go, and uh, yeah, great advice. That's what I say. Go you know, get get your personalized equine feeding plan. It's free. So don't be afraid to reach out and say hey, here's what my horse is, here's what I'm feeding, what do you think? And get some advice cuz again, the reason Dr. Rambo and I jumped into this field way back when is cuz we love horses so much. We want to help them, we want to help you. We all love them. They are our babies, right? So, you know, hopefully this you're you're getting useful information out of this podcast. And if you are, if you don't mind leaving a five-star review on iTunes or even Spotify now, I know a lot of people are listening to us on Spotify. If you don't mind scrolling to the top, clicking on the podcast and just just hitting five stars, that helps us in circulation. That helps other horse owners find us. And again, making horses' lives better. That, that's what drives me each and every day. So thank you, Dr. Rambo, and stay tuned next week for another great uh, topic.
1: Thank you, Dr. Mortensen.